0: This episode of UK Low Carb Podcast is sponsored by Deliciously Guilt Free. Enjoy the show. It was unexplained fertility issues, but all the same, I just couldn't get pregnant for four years of trying, ended up having to have IVF. So I felt like a, a failure as a woman, failure as a person, and went through depression in my late 20s and was medicated for that. So I can't even pull myself together. You know, I just felt sort of failure after failure.
1: What I have learned over the past two
0: years has been magnificent. You know, it's, com- it's completely changed my life. Um, and so you're not going to die if you don't eat carbohydrates, but you will die if you don't eat fat and protein. The energy I have, the life I have that has changed so amazingly in a few years proves to me that what I'm eating is only doing me good. I, you know what? I'd love to meet them because... Um... changed my life basically so I've lost now I'm just a couple of I'm about three pounds off losing five stone
1: hello and welcome to UK low carb this is your podcast the podcast where we share the real life stories and experiences of people like you and me people who follow the low carb or keto diet so join me Dan Grief and my co-host each Friday to hear their story And if you'd like to get involved, then please email me, dan at uklowcarb.com, or join our growing Facebook group, UK Low Carb. And finally, please rate and review this podcast and Apple Podcasts so that we can get the message out about the amazing benefits of the low-carb and keto lifestyle. Now, this podcast is sponsored by my business, Deliciously Guilt Free. Just use the code PODCAST and you can have 20% off your order. On with the show! Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of UK Low Carb, the podcast where we share individual stories and it's all part of building up the low carb and keto community, not just here in the UK, but also around the world. My name is Dan Grief, I'm your host, and I actually believe that change happens when we pull together for grassroots movement change rather than expecting people to do it for us. And that's what this show is all about, empowering people to share their stories and also empowering people to follow some of the advice they get along the way. Um, A quick review that I have here before I get into today's show with Netta, And that is a review that was left on my site uh, a little while ago now. And this is from Demblade72 who says, awesome podcast and five stars. Thank you very much. For anyone who's low carb or wanting to try low carb, this is the best podcast I've found. Very informative without too much of the confusing scientific talk. Yes. Now, I know what you mean there because... I listen to other low-carb keto podcasts, and I'm not medical. I'm not in uh, the health space uh, in terms of being trained as a health professional or anything. And I do find sometimes it can be a bit scientific. And so even if I get a guest on who is um, a scientist or a guest who's a medic, I try to make sure I break it down so it's understandable to me. And then hopefully non-science people like me can also understand it as well. Uh, it's It's real people talking about their journeys, and I find it so interesting and informative. The healthy low-carb message needs to be spread far and wide, and this podcast does that in a very gentle and relatable way. Well done, Dan. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. And like I always say, if you want to come on the show, then you're more than welcome because the whole idea of the podcast is it's sharing stories with people like you and I. Right. So let's get into today's episode. I'm joined by Netta. Um, is actually British, but living in Canada. So maybe she is Canadian now. I didn't check her passport, but, um, she lives over there. And we actually met through a Facebook group, which is the podcasting for business Facebook group where, um, I don't know if you know, I actually won an award, uh, this year as well. Now, she launched her podcast in uh, January. In fact, I love this story because I got to know her before she launched her podcast, which is Life After Sugar. And as you can imagine, when I saw that title, it made me very excited to, to talk to her. Um, but then she said to me, oh, I'm going to launch it in January. It got to the point where I believe the last Sunday, cause she wants to release it on, um, in the month of January, the last day in January, should I say was a Sunday, the 31st. So she had to launch it on that day. She's kind of committed. Otherwise she would have missed her deadline. She gave herself. So I love people like that. I love people who like, you know, set themselves a target and they stick to it, which is great. And ever since then, she's been, um, podcasting weekly, a really, really good show. So I recommend you check out life after sugar. And it's really her story and her experiences over the last few years, which she will then describe in much more detail on this podcast about how really giving up sugar has completely transformed her life. And as she says, it's about finding the sweetness without the sugar. And uh, uh, definitely her health has improved, has her quality of life, everything since she gave it up. So I'm going to hand over now to Netta. I hope you enjoy the show today. Um, and just to let you know, we're going to have on Tuesdays um, from next week onwards, Graham Phillips who's been recording a series with me. So we're going to put those out and you can get hold of them. Have a great week, everyone. I wish you a lovely weekend and I'll see you all next week. Take care. Goodbye. Hey, Netta, thank you for coming on UK Low Carb.
0: Thanks, Dan. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Great. Now, the way that we got to know each other in the first place was we're part of the same Facebook group, in fact, two Facebook groups. Um, and that is a podcasting for business group and also the Buzz Sprout, because that's the, the podcast provider we are on. So you're also equally a podcast host, which is really exciting. And I thought somebody who's talking about, you know, anti-sugar and generally living a healthier lifestyle uh, by cutting down on sugar and carbohydrate. I thought we've got to chat at some point and we have ever since. So exciting to have a fellow podcaster here as well.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I only my podcast um, the 31st of January of this year, 2021. And it's like my new passion. I love it.
1: Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And the great thing about podcasts is that you know, you get to meet people. So this is what I like. If you just said to me randomly or I said to you randomly, do you fancy a Zoom call to chat? You'd be like, well, who are you? Why would, I, why would I do that? When you've got a podcast suddenly, people would say yes. And then you meet the most amazing people because you're doing something for them and they're doing something for you. And it's, it's just a lovely relationship you make with people. And yeah. secondly, I think the world is quite a small place in some ways. So when it comes to low carb, you can meet like-minded people. But you're in Canada right now. I'm in Britain. And we've got a similar interest, whereas the people you might work with might not, or your friends and family might not. And so you can make those connections with people who are just in the same niche as you. I, I love that. So I love
0: that. Yeah. I've been but, talking to people from the UK, from Australia, from all over the US. It's yeah, it's like we're not allowed to travel or not much these days. So that we'll do it, you know, in our podcast, I suppose.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of in fact, when I first started, mine was just over a year ago, and I remember thinking hmm how am I going to do this zoom thing and then like you know okay this pandemic's coming along but actually the pandemic meant speaking on zoom has become normal so it's even easier now than it probably would have been two years ago or something so absolutely
0: anyway, and so I'm a teacher question. so I had to learn how to teach on zoom
1: oh of course so before we go to your story how's that been are you back at school now in Canada or
0: well, is things teach, still shut uh, down? I teach a level level or the equivalent there right up here so um it's all been on zoom because they don't have to sort of go back to school but um it's been fine let's just long story short it's fine
1: (laughs) good good okay yeah it's not the easiest of experiences is it um anyone listening who wants to set up their own podcast i think that we are both saying do it because you'll love it it's really good fun um, and I do remember we were talking before you launched about what day to do it on, weren't we? And I think you said you didn't know. But why was it a Sunday in the end? I can't remember the reason. Was it, did it just sort of I- happen?
0: I, I sort of committed to myself to get it out there in January, and it and I January first came along, and I thought, oh, I've got to press the button and <laughs> the publish button, and it happened to be a Sunday.
1: <laughs> so whatever the last day of that month would have been, it was going to come out on that day, and then you're tied to it, right? So you have to always bring out an episode on a Sunday. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Brilliant. Okay, then. So I'd like to just go through some of your backstory. We'll come back to your podcast at the end, because I want to find out a bit more about your experiences and and who you've spoken to and the things you've learned, because that's the thing about my podcast. I've learned so much from so many people. So um, what was your relationship to food growing up? Um, You know, what sort of family culture around food did you have?
0: Well, I grew up in Coventry in England, and I would say in a sort of normal 80s Family, you know, when my mum cooked, she, she was a busy working mum, uh, but she managed to cook all the same. She didn't necessarily enjoy it that much. And I, I know she's listening and she'll agree. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but it was but delicious. Just want to say that now. It was delicious. Right. Thank
0: you, Mom. It was delicious. <laughs> you
1: saved your bacon there, didn't I?
0: <laughs> yes, quite literally. <laughs> Um, and um, so it, but at that time in the 80s, it was, you know, lo- the low fat craze. And so um, I think I, I seem to remember, you know, having margarine on the table and, right. you know, skim milk and that sort of thing. Um, but we still let home cooked meals for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part. Yep. And that's my memory. And my mem- thing is, I went to ballet school, a specialised um, secondary school, which was a ballet school, a dance school. And so we were very body conscious at that school Why? because, you know, ballerinas have to be slim, if not skinny. And I was naturally slim, um, not skinny, though. And, but I had curves, you know, in my teenage years. And I remember my ballet teacher, it wasn't at home, it was at my ballet school, and my ballet teacher was telling me to, you know, sort of stand straight and... Sort of push in my bum and I'm like I can't push it in you know it's my bum
1: <laughs> yeah it exists in in space that's where it exists yeah uh, yeah it's not it's not just lurking out of the way of some other space yeah I know what you mean that what, what sort of age were you at that point then
0: I was at about 14 15 when I first sort of became more aware of my body and my my sort of curves and the fact that I had a shape to my body and also became aware that in the ballet world, the dance world, you shouldn't be having any sort of curves. That sort of gets in the way of of what a ballerina is supposed to look like. And That's I remember not it?
1: at f- such impressionable age to be told things like how your body should look. And I don't. Well,
0: it wasn't explicitly ugh. said; it was right. hinted at.
1: Okay, but well, yeah, and then loud and clear to, girl, to you, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, just because there's just it was mostly girls, not exclusively, but mostly. You know, you look at each other and you get changed together, and you know, well, I think all teenage or most teenage girls sort of compare themselves to others. Okay. Favor- usually, unfavorably. That's but, sad. Um, it
1: really is that it starts so young, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and the paradigm of health is also out of whack because. I, I, OK, I'm going to be careful here that I have suddenly big ballerina union type organisations after me. But, you know, I, I don't imagine that the ballerina look is the actual natural look for most people. Uh, it might be for some people and they might be absolutely healthy, but I wouldn't say it's the most healthy figure for most people to have. And to try and make people aspire to it when they can't naturally is, is actually pretty cruel.
0: And especially when you're right in that time in your life when you are developing and where you this is when you need the most self-esteem yes. and the most positive messages. And then, you know, you're, yes, it wasn't quite what I needed. But I remember my mum being worried that I would sort of develop some sort of eating disorder in order to get slim enough to be okay as a ballerina. Luckily for us, for her and for me and for society in general, I didn't. Um, I had a healthy appetite. Uh, There was no way that I would cut down on my food because I just love and I always have loved eating. And part of that love, I suppose now I look back on it, um, was um, was developed because I never put on much weight. So I could, you know, really love my food without any negative side effects. So although I was curvy for a ballerina, I was definitely slim by sort of society's standards. Yes, yeah, didn't have to worry about that. And I think it's partly sort of a, a little bit of of ignorance about what an eating disorder is to think that it's about food. It's not mm. actually about the food. It's more about control and things like that, which luckily I didn't I didn't have.
1: Oh, so you didn't have an eating disorder, you mean, or you think that? Many people in your situation may have developed, is that what you're saying?
0: Yes. I didn't personally have an eating disorder or the need to control anything, um, but I can definitely see how um, sort of the dance world and the ballet world can, if you're already a bit, um, you know, you already have sort of that in you, I can see how it could develop. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know what is it's also the age that you're at is so impressionable and I just think this is loads of different dance um, organizations that people can join and they must be getting told negative things about themselves and that's terrible isn't it especially that age especially for girls I think because there's so many changes and then you've got this new paradigm suddenly about you know what you should look like it's I mean my daughter's five and okay five and a half should I say she's very proud of that half and uh, as she's right to be. And I'm so protective of the thought of, of her growing up and the messages she's gonna get. I want her to be healthy for like happiness sake and for longevity sake, but I want her to be completely happy in herself and who she is, not feeling she's gonna be somebody else or look a certain way, because that's just mean. It's just really cruel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And my daughter's 13. So I'm sort of doubly aware of, you know, her body image and her perception of her body image. And my role as a mother of being a good model for her, good role model, not just in what I eat, but how I relate to my body as being something that serves me rather than some sort of piece of decoration.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. But I think there's also the other side is your body is something that serves you, but you also have a responsibility to look after it. And I'd like to talk a bit about like your story in terms of some of the other health things that have, have come up, um, with regards to that. So, so when was it, cause I think your story is really interesting. When was it you first noticed you had this stomach problem? I don't know how to describe it really. So maybe if you want to take it away, um, yeah. because that is kind of the core, I think to how, You have not just changed your life, but you're now inspiring other people to do that in your podcast.
0: Yes. Well, it was, I would say, around my late 20s when my digestion started to slow down. So all through my 30s, you know, I went from uh, going, let's put it politely, going to the bathroom, as they say in North America, (laughs) um, you know, every day down to three or four times a week. And then gradually, in my early forties, I was just—it was just once or twice a week. Wow. And yeah, you can imagine that is really painful, uncomfortable. There's lots. In terms of, of, time of the amount there. of food,
1: were you still having the same amount you would have done before?
0: Yes, I was still eating the same amounts of food. I wasn't, I, and I was never one to sort of reduce my quantity of food because <laughs> I yeah. don't enjoy being hungry.
1: But you're, you're feeling, but I mean, in terms of the impact, it's not because you're suddenly reducing your intake or something strange. It was the same amount of food going in, but the constipation has been happening, which must be in, acutely uncomfortable.
0: Acutely uncom- uncomfortable. You said it. Yes. And bloating, backache. I mean, one time I had to go to the hospital because I had such bad backache. They took an x-ray and it wasn't my back at all. It was my intestines that were completely full of crap, basically. Wow. And Let's then ask, they, what,
1: what were you eating at the time? What sort just, of diet were you having?
0: What Western I diet? call a normal diet, which is, you know, sort of just sometimes fast food, but generally sort of, you know, home cooked meals. I I like to cook. I enjoy so actually it. actually
1: the healthier end of the Western diet, really. You know, if you, yeah. if you could say to yourself, you know, in your 30s, uh, you know, is this a healthy lifestyle? You would have said, I imagine, yes.
0: Generally, yes, including... The thing is, it included a bit of everything, which balance. is what we are made to believe is healthy.
1: <laughs> great, great, great word. Balance doesn't apply to any other species on the planet a balanced diet, but apparently it should do to humans. Very interesting, uh, that isn't it?
0: Obviously, since then, my definition of balanced has changed. So I don't, I don't accept the, the sort of official definition of a balanced diet now. But um, it's certainly more balanced for me now.
1: But I was going to say, isn't that an interesting term, though? Because when people say balance, what they mean is a little bit of everything is fine. As long as it's a little bit, then you'll be okay. And I'm like, that's really weird, because, you know, I I honestly think in the ways that Dr. Ken Berry says that there is the human diet, there is the cat diet, there is the dog diet. I'm adding these bits, but there's a cow diet. All those animals have got diets that they eat. You don't say to a cow go on just to, you know, eat some lamb because that's a balanced diet or, you know, or chew some tobacco, you know, like whatever, you know, you just wouldn't do that because that's wrong for the animal. So the idea that somehow humans should have a little bit of everything is a very odd concept. It's just the term balance sounds so reasonable, even though logically it's based on, well, I suppose it's based on like the four humors and the Roman concept of balancing the humors, I suppose. But it's a very strange concept.
0: Well, and especially that what, is now meant by a bit of everything is, um, inc- you know, includes mostly packaged and processed foods. So, yes. that, you know, so that is one twist further away from the human diet. But, yeah, so, I mean, basically what was happening to me at that time in my uh, 30s and early 40s was that I was, my, my whole system was getting sort of backed up and then I would have to take, you know, some sort of laxative and I tried them all you know, to to get cleared out. And it was up and down, painfully, painfully up and down of being backed up and being emptied out. And it was, you know, just I just couldn't see any way out of it because the doctors were telling me, eat more fibre. Right. And I was. I mean, that fibre, though, was wrapped up in processed products with sugar in them as well, mostly, because, you know, what is high fibre in cereal you know that i don't know if i'm allowed to mention brand names but whole brand yeah
1: yeah I, I knew exactly we were going to say that i thought <laughs> that you know what though it's so kind of it's terrible isn't it there are certain brands out there that then go you need more fiber we'll make a product for you with more fiber in mind you if you want more fiber i suppose you could get it from lettuce if you wanted but you know but they'll say to you like oh yeah you need to make sure you're, you're eating our products because this is where you get fiber from um, but actually, isn't it proven in many cases fiber backs people up even more? I've heard but there's some science behind that.
0: It depends. Obviously, we're all different, you know. Yes, so true. Migrant
1: differences and all sorts.
0: Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, we're all different and fiber affects us differently. But the problem is, I've found that the, the official message is for everybody, eat more fiber. So the, I don't think the problem is the fiber. I think the problem is the message that's one size fits all.
1: Yeah, generic for everyone yeah Yeah.
0: but and of course we we believe it i believed it so i was trying to eat more fiber and things were getting worse but then i thought it was my fault and then i felt like a failure because i couldn't i couldn't do the basic human action of pooing right yeah other health issues that i had was i couldn't get pregnant either we had lots of fertility issues so it was unexplained fertility issues but all the same we're just couldn't get pregnant for four years of trying, ended up having to have IVF. So I felt like a, a failure as a woman, can't get wow. pregnant, failure as a person can't, you know, who every day, basically. I mean, and I had, I, had a, I went through depression in my late 20s and was medicated for that. So I can't even pull myself together. You know, I just felt sort of failure after failure.
1: Wow, um, Neto, that's so powerful. And you know what, like you think about that, you know, you're the victim of something there. you're the victim of you could say many things, the food industry, or let's take it down to the victim of poor advice, whatever it might be. But the personal responsibility is so relevant to so many people. And this is what this is why I personally get so angry about these issues, because, um, you know, it seems to me like, as human beings, we've got so many things wrong, the way we understand them. But every time, the burden is upon the individual who's suffering from, in fact, they're the victim of the bad advice or whatever, and yet they feel that they carry the burden of guilt, and it's wrong. So it's your fault you've got a weight issue. It's your fault that you're, you know, in your case, you have constipation or you can't, as you would have felt it, I imagine, if, if you don't mind me rephrasing, it sounds a bit like you couldn't function as a normal human being, and it's somehow you're suboptimal, and that's a terrible, terrible way to feel, and you should never, and nobody should ever, ever have to feel that way. It's so sad.
0: It's that, Yes, I did feel suboptimal. I felt especially a failure as a woman, not being able to get pregnant. And the way that I coped with all those feelings was to eat more chocolate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can see that vicious cycle. Yeah.
0: yeah. And in fact, the day when we did manage to get pregnant, thanks to IVF and, and a credit card, um, uh, we when I was in hospital, we, um I, I brought along a, a whole load of chocolates to, you know, as a, yeah, yeah, as a treat.
1: So would you say you had quite a sweet tooth developing? Yeah. You've always had one
0: or? I've, I was, I identified myself as a sweet tooth. I was known as a sweet tooth. Um, people made, people made desserts for me, extra desserts. You know, they yeah. always knew that if Netta was coming for dinner, you know, they, she would eat, one, two, three portions of desserts and and ask for more. Yeah.
1: Now, this is interesting because, and I know from your podcast, I do listen to it, you do talk about this quite often, about this topic. And uh, by the way, the name of your podcast is, do you want to share?
0: Life After Sugar.
1: Life After Sugar. What an inspirational title. And actually, this does relate to this story so clearly. So I'm going to ask you the question, which I think I know the answer to already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Would you consider you had an addiction to sugar?
0: No. No. I was no I was in total denial I mean I if anyone had asked me are you addicted to sugar I would have said no I'm not addicted I now, don't why
1: is that is that because you didn't think that you yourself could be addicted to something or was it because you thought you never heard of a sugar addiction so that doesn't fit into the category of addiction you'd heard what was the reason why you would say no and is it maybe denial I mean what, yeah. what, what's going on there
0: Well, part of it was denial. Part of it was just my own ignorance about what addiction actually is and my sort of vision or, you know, conclusions about or visions of drug addicts in dirty alleyways where, um, of course, I'd never had any of that sort of behavior. I'd not had binging behavior ever. I didn't. Yes, I ended up. The thing is, I was hiding things like chocolate and you know, muffins and, and brownies and whatnot in my drawer, like at work and whatever. Interesting. But, yeah. but I wasn't aware that I was doing it, and I only became aware that I was doing it when I wasn't doing it anymore.
1: So you're hiding brownies in drawers and you're doing things you weren't really aware of it until the absence of. Now, what I find interesting about that is that it seems to me there are some socially acceptable addictions which we completely tolerate. In fact, in many ways, I'd say it's not even tolerate. It's more it's like, well, if she's doing it, then I can do it. You know, it's we can all be justified. There are other addictions which aren't socially acceptable. So someone's got a gambling addiction then or a sex addiction. I don't think people would say, well, you know, it just happens or whatever. They'd be like, oh dear, I don't think so. Whereas somehow having chocolates in their drawer is a bit naughty and it's a bit oh well don't we all want to do that but you know go and see neta she's got a treat you know well, I don't know if you would share your treats for that matter yeah, um yeah, <laughs> that's okay that's more um a sign of addiction I suppose isn't it um but isn't I just find that interesting and that, what I've also find interesting is and I know you know this too because you've experienced it I've heard in your podcast when you then change that behavior to no sugar people look at you like you've got a problem when you have a life with loads of sugar, that's seen as normal. And I find, and even if you're addicted to it and you're giving up your addiction, it's very interesting how people look at one as being really bad and horrific and one as being completely acceptable. When actually we know, and the people listening to this podcast know, it's the other way around. So I find that incredible. So let's just talk about that period of your life. Okay. And, and what was the point where you hit, as many people who are addicts to things, talk about rock bottom where things could not go on like they were?
0: Yeah, my rock bottom, quite literally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I didn't realise I'm walking into a pun, sorry.
0: <laughs> it was one night um, in the spring of 2015 when we'd ordered pizza, okay, um, and um, I ended up that night throwing up in the toilet and, um, not because the pizza wasn't any good. I mean, it was Hawaiian pizza. Who doesn't like that, right?
1: Well, me. I think it's horrible, Hawaiian. Um, anyway, carry on. Pineapple on pizza. Are you crazy? <laughs> anyway.
0: That was one of Pineapple my Pineapple on everything's numbers.
1: grim, actually. What am I thinking? But especially not on savoury. Oh, dear God. <laughs> right. Okay. So carry Come on. Come back
0: to me, Dan. Come back to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I went off on a rant there. Uh, I'm back. I'm back in the room. Carry on.
0: <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I had my head down the toilet, you know, throwing up this perfectly good pizza, Thinking, no, no
1: not, not good, but carry on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't judge me. No, I'm thinking it's coming out the wrong end.
1: Oh, I see. Almost like you should be processing this. Why is it now you're vomiting? Right. Okay. Got you.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking this isn't normal because I haven't actually been to the, you know, had a poo basically for six days or whatever. And here, it, here's my food coming out the wrong end. So I thought that's I can't carry on like this. I just can't do it. Um, so um, I, I actually, it was my brother who works in who sells fermented foods. Actually, who got me in touch with a nutritional therapist that he worked with or worked with at the time, and she was in, based in the states. And she talked to me on Zoom all that time ago, yeah, um, wow. or Skype or whatever. And anyway, long story short, she with all her analysis of my sort of symptoms, she says, I reckon that you're not making enough stomach acid.
1: Oh, right. Okay.
0: And what happens when you aren't making enough stomach acid is that your food basically is not being digested oh. and you need a pH of one, about 1.5 for your food to go through to your intestines from your stomach. And if you don't have enough stomach acid, it's not going to get to that pH level. Right. And that's what was happening. So I was eating one, three, six meals, and they were staying in my stomach and not going through to my intestines.
1: Whoa. So it's actually that high up that you had the food compacted down. Not, it wasn't even just stuck in your intestine or the bowel and everything.
0: Well, both, both. So right. not only was it getting stuck in my stomach, but once it did manage to go through my intestines, it was such a slow process
1: because it's not actual real food for a bowel or an intestine to deal with it's uh, unprocessed food in the human processing i mean sense.
0: exactly yeah so so anyway she you know suggested that i take hydrochloric acid in pill form right which most people if you take that and you've got normal digestion that would sort of feel like a burning sensation in your stomach whereas for me it just got things moving and i was taking about 6 a day Um, And with with digestive enzymes as well. Now, I'm not one for taking pills and whatnot. So, you know, I resisted that for a while because I resist everything. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I just felt so, like, literally, I felt like crap. So, um, yeah, I ended up taking those and it started to get things moving. And at the same time, she suggested two other things. One was to cut sugar and sweeteners and flour Grains basically for two weeks. And can I just months. ask what
1: the link there to the sugar? Sorry, to the acid is. Is there a direct link there? I know, obviously, I think you should give those things up anyway. But um, what was her reasoning?
0: Yeah, not necessarily a direct link, but for for my system, there was the acid thing. that not everyone has, although many more people have low acid than than we think, because you know doctors are always, always prescribing anti-acids, but sometimes the symptoms are the exact same when you don't have enough acid, but they right. don't think you So that was one thing, but it was more like a parallel to say, let's see if we can isolate if any one food or one type of food is causing you any kind of problem in your digestion. So, you know, let's get rid of the rubbishy foods first, the non-useful foods, and then, yeah. you know, like an elimination diet, and then we'll bring in one thing at a time. We can isolate that.
1: Okay.
0: That was the thinking behind that. So I said, no, thanks. No, I'm all right. I'll just carry on eating chocolate. <laughs> I've got enough to worry about. Um, but and but again, it sounds to
1: me as well like somebody who's addicted to, to chocolate is going to say no. You're not going to say, oh, I'll give it a go then. Uh, oh, I said so, no
0: to everything. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: being cautious is yes.
1: not a bad thing, to be fair, actually. Being cautious is actually a very good thing, and you've got the right answer for you. So it has worked, hasn't it?
0: It worked in the end. But just the idea of here I am struggling and suffering. Don't you take away the stuff I love most.
1: It's like life's just going to get a hundred million times worse, it must feel at that point, even though you didn't realise it was going to improve.
0: How would I know? How do you know things are going to improve unless you give it a try, right? Yeah. So in the end, you know, I give myself some credit because in the end, I did give it a try, but only because my body had backed me into a corner.
1: So you had no option almost. You were so desperate you had to just do something. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. It wasn't. I didn't. I totally did not wake up one morning uh, thinking, oh, I know. Let me just cut out all the food I really, really love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Got Yeah. Mm.
0: So, so I did. I did what she said. Um, I waited until the end of the summer um, so that I could have all my ice cream and everything <laughs> before. And I did what she said for two weeks. Cut out sugar. Flour or refined grains, or oh, grains, actually. Um, she said dairy, but I still carried on putting a bit of cream in my coffee because I've got to be a rebel at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and sweetness. So not even chewing gum or anything like that. OK, so um, I did that. I mean, it sounds very simple. Oh, I did that. But it was quite a challenge for me to know what the heck I was going to eat.
1: And did you just decide on one, like one date, like one day, that's it, from that day on, you're not going to have it, complete cold turkey on those things?
0: Yeah, for two weeks, no more. I didn't get rid of any of my sweet foods in the house, it it's only going to be for two weeks. Right. So about day three or four, I had to go and lie down for a little nap, and that lasted for two days.
1: Sorry? Okay. Whoa. Okay, tell me more. We you mean two days? Literally two days. Yes. Sleeping beauty, yes, is, out cold.
0: Out cold. Out cold. I was like, I, I just felt like I'd been run over by a bus.
1: Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Was was this, do you think, like keto flu? Uh, you know, is in is in your body was almost in withdrawal symptoms of the sugar as it's leaving your body. Is that what you think it might be?
0: Well, I mentioned this to a friend of mine, this these symptoms that I was having, and she said. Oh, she's, she mentioned this word keto. And i would never heard of the word before. And this was in 2015, remember? And, and so she says, oh, I wonder if, whether, you know, what you're, you're probably eating keto. Um, and have you read Keto Clarity, which is one of the books that she had and that she lent me? And I, and I said, you what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't, yeah.
0: I just didn't know what she was talking about.
1: Especially 2015. It's early days, isn't it, really?
0: yeah. So um you know I said no again you know no I'm not eating keto. <laughs> I just cut out you know and then I give the list of everything that keto cuts out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just a just a similarity but not it's not the same at all it's just matches yeah. Okay. Well, the thing
0: is how could I be eating keto when I'd never even heard of keto?
1: Yes exactly. And also you know keto's is a, a name or something it used to be called Atkins maybe in the future we'll be called something else. But it comes down to that basic principle of just giving up carbohydrate and sugar, doesn't it? And I guess that's what you were doing. So you must have probably gone through ketosis, I would have thought, you know. Yeah. Well, ketosis. yes, I you know for
0: carbs, I was still eating plenty of vegetables. Um, right, and yes, I was eating yeah. fermented dairy like cheese. So, uh, as well as my little splash of cream. So, um you know, I just wanted to say I don't, I didn't ever cut out carbs because I eat, you know, my yep. carbs in, in vegetable form and dairy. So, yes. Yeah, so, but I mean, I did definitely bring down my processed carbs to zero.
1: And actually, you know what? If you're cutting out grains, you're having far fewer carbohydrates than most people. So it sounds definitely low carb a diet to me, for sure. Um, Now, when you said you're out for two days, I mean, do you think it was kind of the symptoms of keto flu, things like headache, feeling very weak, sometimes feeling cold can be one of them as well. I feel like I'm hungover and I'm just thirsty as well. And of course, a lot of that is because you are losing all this fluid suddenly. Um, Did you take any salt or anything? Or did you I suppose you didn't know to take salt?
0: Exactly. I didn't know. I mean, I I know how to read. Luckily, Mm. I learned how to do that quite early on in my life. So luckily, I was able to go and read up on what was going on in my body. And I did realize there was a bit of salt that I needed to take as extra, which was fine with me, um, you know? And then the other thing was that I felt so sad and angry and depressed and then angry at being sad and angry and depressed. <laughs> and I so remember a I cycle again.
1: Yeah. that
0: cycle. I went for a walk with a friend of mine and said, God, you know, I'm doing this to get my body back to feeling better. And I I just, I'm so mad that my body's reacting this way. And then, of course, I read up on it and and realized, oh, hang on, these kinds of emotions are also part of what they call detox.
1: Right. Uh, Okay, interesting. So at the end of the two weeks, what was the change in your life and your health?
0: I would say at the end of one week, all that stuff was over with, and I really started to jump out of bed with more energy. And my movements, you know, as you know, I I grew up as a dancer and so I've always been supple, but my movements or my joints had been more achy um, in my 40s. I was 45 at this time and I was, I was noticing that I was getting my sort of suppleness back.
1: Interesting. Um, So you thought that age was the, the cause. It's interesting how suddenly you find out nutrition is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd had a baby at almost 38, and then now I was in my mid 40s. And we think, oh, it's normal for you to start getting achy. And I had a bit of a spare tire, and that spare tire was melting away. And I wasn't wow. doing any more exercise. I wasn't, I'm not a very sporty sort of person. And so, you know, and I'd been just in bed for two days. Like I was doing zero exercise, and I, it was melting away.
1: Amazing, amazing. And then, So after the two weeks, there must be that question. Do you go back to where you were or do you carry on with this? And, you know, I I appreciate stories aren't necessarily linear. You know, things fluctuate up and down. And I know that's how life is. So so what was the story for you after that?
0: Well, the nutritional therapist, I got in touch with her after this the first two weeks. And she said, "Okay, how about we introduce one of the foods that we that you cut out? And guess what I said?
1: Chocolate, please. No, I said no. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So you had really like hit a reset button in yourself.
0: Well, I said, listen, I'm feeling so much better. Um, why don't I just try another week? I think I'll just try another week before we introduce anything. Amazing. And then I did another week and then another one and another one. And actually, I never look back. And it's amazing. been on six years.
1: That's incredible. Uh, Have there been, do you mind me asking, any cravings or anything? Or is that also abated over time?
0: The first few weeks um, I had cravings, but I would say that they were more behavioral than actual taste cravings because I I had been so used to having something sweet at the end of every meal Hmm. for so many years that it was just weird to finish a meal, put my knife and fork down, and then I'm like, well, now what? Isn't that right?
1: interesting? Because you know what? I think that is true for a lot of people. And it's I'm kind of lucky it wasn't for me. In my family, we just never did dessert unless it was, you know, not even on a Sunday, actually, but occasionally for a special occasion, like a birthday or Christmas or something. And that would be about it, really. We just don't, we're just not a family of big sugar eaters. We're definitely carb eaters, and I am. But, well, I was but I think we're definitely not sweet tooth people. And I think it's interesting when I hear people who say they are, because I realize it's a socialization thing as well, isn't it? It's part of your daily life. And so you feel like the meal's not complete in some way, or the celebration isn't completely celebrated unless you've got sugar. And I think I I find that very sad because it is a hard thing to break, not just the physiological impact, but the psychological connections massive.
0: Yeah, definitely. It was, I don't think it's one of the things that you don't realize is so central and so important to you and so natural until you don't do it anymore. And so there's a certain period of time, could be longer for some some people, shorter for others, where it's just weird. And you just want to go back to what it was before. And, you, well, for me, you know, I fought against it. I was like, why why should I have to give up my desserts to feel better that's not fair you know like a two-year-old
1: yes yeah I have a two-year-old at home right now so that's exactly the phrase I heard this morning that's not fair I was like okay <laughs> yeah fine but there is that side of us too isn't there you know like we're, we're victims in some way how long did that take though to move over from that way of thinking Did it take a long time
0: it went by spurts if you will it was like it took a, a couple of no more than a couple of weeks it took several weeks of sort of talking to myself and saying, listen, you're not going to die if you don't have a biscuit at the end of your meal, you know, you've eaten, you're nourished, Just, you know, and I was sort of walking around in circles in my kitchen, sort of like, you know, like didn't know what to do with my hands. Wow. Um, and so I had to really give myself a talking to, not to punish myself, but to make myself realise that what I was missing was that sort of automatic behaviour And in no way was it anything to do with me being undernourished in any way. And then then it sort of got, then you get to a new normal. I I got to a new normal. But then, you know, over time, when social situations come back, come up, then your new normal is challenged. So when you're invited out, obviously in those days we were invited to other people's homes more than we are now. When you go to a restaurant. We travel a lot. We've made several long trips together. All these kinds of situations, work situations, you know, they all bring up the, the, first of all, they all include sugar. Yeah. And you don't realize this until, you know, it's like someone drinking and then stops drinking. You realize, oh, my gosh, every time we get together, there's, in my case, sugar, in their case, alcohol. And so you, you become a lot more aware and then the challenge is, how do I deal with these social situations and the social pressure that comes with it to consume sugar? Luckily for me, I was in my 40s. When you get to your 40s, well, for me, you don't really care what other people think of you.
1: <laughs> I think it's one of the, the great things about age is that's more true, isn't it? I think you become more comfortable in who you are and just what you're about and less wanting to please. Well, I hope that's what most people feel. And you think... If I felt this more when I was eighteen, I'd have been a lot happier.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely me too so so when people i mean when people are like they will allow themselves to pass comments on what you're eating, what I was eating or not eating, you know and and I had to really control myself not to be sort of bitchy about it because that yeah. doesn't help anything and um, to to sort of make light of it and to make a joke out of it. And I could see that they their whole paradigm was being shaken up because yeah. um, I think it's called cognitive dissonance, but I'm not a psychologist.
1: It is. No, it is, yeah, definitely.
0: And so they could see that I wasn't eating what they considered and what I could used to consider to be normal food or normally. But they could also, by looking at me, see that, not only do I look healthy, but like just in my eyes and my smile and my way of moving, I was perfectly happy. Thank you very much. Well, so happy- for them, yeah, happier, like, surely. Happier. Uh, obviously, they couldn't see inside my intestines and they didn't come sure. along with me when I was on the loo.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. <laughs> we have to be thankful for small mercies. But, <laughs> but I mean. You know, they could not deny that I looked healthy and that I was enjoying my food. And later on, several years into this, you know, um, when I started naturally fasting because I just wasn't as hungry as often, they also couldn't deny that I wasn't suffering from not eating. I mean, I could sit, sit with a group of people and not eat and feel perfectly fine.
1: There are certain people in society, well, in societies in our countries who will actually find that shocking that you don't eat. And they'll find it dangerous. In fact, you don't eat. What's going to happen? I mean, I, I'm a gym guy now. I've, I've had my first session and I'm going to go back this afternoon for my second one. Now the pain subsided slightly. And um, and I remember previously before lockdown, I'd go to the gym and someone would say, one of the, the personal trainers were there, would say, you know, what have you eaten before you workout? You know, you've got to fuel your body and you would just talk very much in the Western way about filling your body with sugar and have you had carbs the night before and all this stuff. And I would, in the end, I just stopped talking to him about it because we had such different paradigms and I got used to, and this is what I want to do again now, getting used to going to the gym faster than working out it works fine for me. I can access my you know, ample fuel stores that I've got now, use those as the energy for workout. And in fact, you know, the proof is in the fact that um, you know, James Cracknell, Steve Bennett, and Co. They did like a hundred-mile run over five days in September, fasted. So you know, it, you can achieve anything fasted. But the, the thought process is, oh my goodness, you're going to kill yourself just by not eating a meal. It's incredible. Yes. Breakfast is not yes. the best meal of the day. It's just all made up rubbish.
0: Well, I mean, people said to me, "Oh, it's not healthy to skip a meal," and I would say, "I'm not skipping a meal. I'm just that skipping a meal starts off from." The premise that there are three meals a day or sometimes yeah, fixed in stone two. I don't share that premise uh, my premise is I respect my body's hunger and I eat when I'm hungry
1: so and hang if on body... should you not put it back to them and say isn't it unhealthy to eat when you're not hungry and they're looking yeah. at you like you're crazy
0: um what I decided to do was not to get into these sort of false debates because no one's listening to each other when you're yeah, talking about like true
1: that. and everyone's ready to get offended, though. <laughs>
0: Right, and so it's you're stirring the pot basically. So
1: I love stirring the pot.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> I'm in politics. That's why I'm like, come <laughs> on, let's stir it. Let's have this chat then.
0: Well, I need it up <laughs> for you to stir the pot.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay.
0: <laughs> in the meantime, I'm building bridges, and and just learning how to talk about me and how great I feel without it um, being about them and how like and them feeling judged because. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I just show by, you know, just how I look and how I act that I feel great. And that's what I would repeat over and over and over to anyone who would pass comment is, but I just feel great. Great. You can't argue with that.
1: And so do you want me you about the toilet situation? How did oh, that change? That. Well, because you had the tablets before and you said it made things better. But what was the impact of giving up sugar and carbs and the processed food?
0: Yeah, so that in itself, let see, sugar is one of the very worst things for your gut health. And I didn't know anything about gut health, but then the other thing that the nutritional therapist suggested I do was to add in some probiotic fermented foods to my diet. So I started to learn how to make my own yogurt, milk kefir, um, kombucha, yeah. water kefir, all the fermented veggies, sauerkraut, kimchi, all that stuff. I started experimenting with all that. So at the same time, what happened for my digestive system was I was cutting out all the really, really bad things that really screw up your gut health, like sugar and refined flour, refined grains. And at the same time, I was adding in all the stuff that really helps your gut health, which is the fermented foods that I was making. Didn't buy them in the shops because then sometimes they're, Pasteurized and they're not really probiotic. Right. So I preferred to make my own and I like to experiment. So I was doing that. So together with no sugar, no refined grains, and the probiotic foods, my whole digestive system went back to normal within six months. I stopped taking those hydrochloric acid pills and the digestive enzymes, stopped all pills, and just went back to normal, my normal which wow. was going to the loo every day. And I honestly, the first few months, I felt like running out into the street and telling people. <laughs>
1: I can't, you know what, in all systems, I, I can't imagine how much relief and pleasure that must be to just, because I've only been constipated I think, once in my life, and it was pretty horrible and, and awful, actually. But I can't imagine that feeling. It's almost like being poisoned. And what well, it is, isn't it? Because you've just got this toxic waste you need to get rid of. And to have that constantly in the pain. And, and also, I can't imagine you'd go out and enjoy yourself knowing that you hadn't been. There's all those factors as well. And now your life is so much more free. Plus, you don't feel as bad. I mean, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my digestion felt great. And my body, I felt like I got my 20-year-old body back. But the most important thing for me was I felt freed from the relationship that I had with sugar and chocolate, where I needed it to celebrate, to find comfort, to find you know um, sort of
1: consolation,
0: consolation. So I mean, obviously, you know, real life carries on, and you need all those things. You do have these valid human needs, but what I found was that once I took sugar and chocolate and all those things away. I was sort of forced, first of all, forced to grow up and become an adult and deal with those needs in an adult way. In other words, not in a chocolatey way.
1: I know what you mean. So a maturity to find a healthy support, which is going to help you grow, not an escape mechanism.
0: Yes, because and plus, you know, looking for those needs or looking for the answers to those needs in chocolate and desserts and sugar and stuff is really sort of. A double-edged sword because you look for relief or you look for comfort and then it comes and kicks you in the bum afterwards because it makes you feel awful.
1: Mind you, doesn't all addiction, I suppose. All addiction is that to people, it's it's terrible and it's life-destroying ultimately. You know, the the innocent little cigarette, the innocent little drink, the innocent little flutter on the horses or whatever, it all, all the the innocent cake or whatever you're going to eat you know it all adds up to actually something that's quite life-destroying addiction is horrific and i think Uh, sugar addiction is particularly nasty because people don't even recognize it
0: right and that in a way that's why because it wasn't a huge mountain for me to climb um to to be able to sort of find other ways of, of of responding to my emotional needs that's sometimes why i think i'm not sure i was you know actually addicted maybe i was to a lesser degree, maybe there's another word for it, but because I was able to find other ways relatively easily, it took a while, but it wasn't I didn't keep falling off the wagon as it were so I didn't I think it was because I was just not willing to suffer anymore, right. and that was my motivator.
1: Really powerful, amazing. I just want to ask you then about the podcast because not only have you changed your own life you're now sharing this through your podcast and also talking to guests about their stories and their journey so how did you decide to come to making your own podcast and also tell me something you've learned by doing your podcast
0: okay so um I had the idea of making a podcast because I just like talking to people (laughs) so in 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 my sort of day job my career I've been a language teacher I teach English as a second language here in French-speaking Quebec. And so I just like connecting with people, talking with people. And I want to send this message about sugar, that it's actually the life is sweeter when you're not eating sugar than when you are, despite what we believe, right? So I was on the other side. I I would never have imagined my life being better without sugar and chocolate. And, and all the other things, bread, and all those things I don't eat anymore. Just I just could not imagine it. And it it's like I wish that I had had a podcast like mine to for me to listen to over and over again every single week, different stories of different people who also cut down sugar, not all in the same way, not all in the same sort of frequency or, or whatever intensity, but – I wish that back then I would have had that kind of motivation to believe that it's possible for me.
1: Amazing. So you're now paying that forward to those people who are like you were in
0: 2015. Yes.
1: Wow. So what have you learned on the podcast then? What have you learned from some of your guests? Because I know you've, I've been listening to some of them. They're really interesting. And yeah, like just, just real people. And that's what this podcast is about as well. Like real people sharing their story and saying, you know, this is me and, that was me, and now I've changed. I've learned this. So, you know, what lessons have you learned on the way?
0: I've learned that it, exactly what you said it's about real people. You do not have to have a PhD in nutrition to know how to eat well. And by well, I mean well for you, and not well, as in some, according to some pyramid that's been invented by, yeah. by some lobbyists. <laughs> um, yeah, so, there's that. And the eating well, um, is different for each person. And feeling good is also different for each person. But the common denominator with the different people I talk to is that they found what's good for them and that's what they're doing. And in some ways they're sort of giving the finger to, you know, that what they're supposed to be eating and what they're supposed to be feeling and how they're supposed to be treating themselves And they've done a bit like I did, which is to say, Hey, don't you tell me how to feel and what to eat?
1: So empowered. That's incredible. What inspirational story that you have. And I'm so pleased as well that you're helping other people find their voice and their confidence to do this. Um, Okay. So, can you tell us then, please, what's the best place to connect with you and also where your podcast is? So, I assume it's on all podcast apps, but do you want to tell them all about that? Um, And then, Yeah, all the other bits and bobs about connecting with you, because I think you're a very inspirational, amazing person. They're uh-huh. actually, can I just say this, Netta? There are certain people in the world that stand out as being like this little sparkler light, and they really show us the way. And you're one of those people, In all honesty, you are, because oh, most people don't start podcasts. Most people don't try to get these messages out there. And the fact that you've changed your own life, and now you're you're passing that on to people, is really inspirational. So I want everyone to connect with you. So tell us where they can go and find you.
0: All right, so all of my stuff is called Life After Sugar. So if you look up on any of the main podcast platforms, Life After Sugar, you'll find it. But I also have a website and all the podcast episodes are there. So it's it's actually called aftersugarclub.com and then forward slash podcast. And I've got like free resources on my website to to help you get more energy with less sugar because you can see, you know, I'm like unstoppable. bursting,
1: bursting with energy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, and so there's different videos there's there's a guide that you can download to, to help you get more energy with less sugar so there's my website aftersugarclub.com there's the podcast Life after Sugar I've got a Facebook page called Life after Sugar I've got an Instagram account called my life after Sugar uh, where I post pictures of what I eat.
1: great So good tips and ideas what- for how somebody could follow. The lifestyle themselves like that right
0: right just to show just sort of how simple it is really yeah and um, you know you really don't have to have you don't have to be jamie oliver to, <laughs> to eat without sugar and also how fun life can be without sugar it's when you're not looking for your fun in cakes and desserts and things you, you're carrying around your fun within you all the time
1: nice yeah there's a there must be like um I'm so like psychologists have come up with something like that, how, you know, the need to medicate yourself to make yourself feel a certain way. It's a very unhealthy relationship. We all do it in some ways, to different degrees, but it's very unhealthy. And actually finding joy in life without having to medicate with something is actually a real key to, to success, I think. Um, yes. And you say that, yeah, it's very powerful that.
0: Yes, it's like, you know, and I say this at the beginning of, of my of every episode of my podcast, when you take away the sugar that's when you can discover the real sweetness in life because you are really forced to look inside yourself and find your joy and your sweetness and to appreciate life now for what you have and not for what you don't have.
1: Wow, that is really powerful. Well, Netta, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And, um, yeah, in terms of your podcast, it's going incredibly well, isn't it? So from yeah. the 31st of January now we're recording this in well, the 21st of, of April. Um, and what is it, 9,000 plus downloads already? Almost. Incredible. Incredible. So go and check it out. Give it a good listen. It's brilliant. And, um, yeah, and I would, yeah i think it's great so thank you for coming on today and uh, and i will be on a show in the future won't i so yes um yes. So, so in a few weeks time from now which i i can't actually remember what i said so i'm a bit worried now what on earth is on there but anyway we'll find out
0: <laughs> oh, you, you said some fantastic things don't worry
1: okay uh, <laughs> some not all <laughs> all right Netta, well you take care and uh yeah look after yourself and i'll speak to you very soon
0: uh thanks dan pleasure to be here
1: Hello, you still there? Dan here. I can see you're one of the keen ones because you're still listening. So, got a very simple request. Please go and rate review this podcast now on Apple if you haven't done so already. And I'll read it out next week on the show. So go and do that, hear about your review next week. Everyone's a winner. Right, I'm gonna shoot off now. Take care, have a lovely week, see you next Friday.